We can't change this generation by ourselves. We need God's help to do that. God is the one that can make a difference in your family. God is the one that can make a difference in your children and their children's children. We have fallen away from God and it's time for us to get back to God. Who controls this generation? Who controls it? As you get older in life, it's sometimes fun to look back at generations before you and see how they are, how they acted, and what made them the way they were. When we come to generations that we live in today, it's easy for us to, we live in this generation, to see why they act the way they do and do certain things. Uh, generation X, as it's called, was born between the ages of, born between the years 1965 to 1980. 1965, 1980. Any Generation X in here? 1965 to 1980. Anybody born in that time frame? Got a few hands. They're kind of timid to raise their hand up. <laughs> All right. Generation X. We've got Generation Y or the Millennials, the dreaded Millennials. They uh, estimate that uh, dates change from, you know, topic to topic, but 1981 to 1996. Who's a millennial here? Don't be bashful. My hand's up too. Millennials here. All right, some of you are like, <laughs> we've got Generation Z, or Z, born 1997 to 2012. Any of those in this room? I think a lot of them are probably out there. Anybody, a few in this room though? All right, we've got a few in here. Generation Z. Generation X includes those born between 65 and 80 during the reconstruction of, the Europe, of Europe after the war. Their life has not been easy since, after a period of upheaval, finding a job was a great challenge. To work and produce was their philosophy of life, leaving no room for idealism. Individualism, ambition, and addiction to work, or being a, quote, workaholic, those are the values from which they grew up. Their, the parents, though, of this generation, they had the worst part. They lived through the post-war period. They are what we call the, the baby boomers, born between 1945 and 1964. They are called this because they were born during the, the baby boom period. Basically, the birth rate shot up estri uh, uh, a lot during this time, in certain countries at least, United States, Canada, New Zealand, some of the Ang Anglo-Saxon countries, and after the end of the Second World War. Generation Y, or the Millennials. My voice may crack from time to time. It's still, still not quite uh, fully strong yet, but it's getting there. Generation Y, or the Millennials, also called the Digital Natives. The revolution, that sounds better, we're the digital natives, not, not millennials. The revolution was shaped by the millennials, or the generation Y. Um, millennials are, no, are those born between 81 and 96, and technology is part of their everyday lives. All their activities are um, mediated by a screen. The concept of on and off is completely integrated into their life. However, they were not, uh, many of us were not born into it. We migrated to the digital worlds from the analog one from which they were living in. Unlike previous generations, because of the economic crisis, the world requires them to be better trained to get a job. 
as competition is increasing. Unlike their parents, Generation X, digital natives are not satisfied with the world around them and are ambitious and want to achieve their goals. However, the millennial generation is labeled as being lazy, narcissistic, and spoiled. In fact, in 2014, Time Magazine labeled them as the me, me, me generation. Then we come to the characteristics, or, or sorry, the uh, Generation Z, also called the Centennial Generation. Aged between now, between the ages of 6 and 21 years old, uh, Generation Z, or the post-millennial generation, will take the lead in a few decades. They are labeled the Centennials for having been born into the world at the turn of the century. The oldest were born in 1997, the youngest in 2012. They arrived in this world with a tablet and smartphone under their arms. <laughs> Amen. Well, what is Generation Z? It's a group of people that is marketed by the internet. It's just part of their DNA. It storms into their homes, their education, and their way of socializing. And if Generation Y, or Millennials, had, had difficulty finding a job, the situation for, for post-Millennials might be worse. Their mastery of technologies may make them neglect their interpersonal relationships to a greater extent. But they are the ones who give more of a voice to social cause on the internet. They like to get everything they want immediately, a fact fostered by the digital world, in which they are immersed and their lifestyle is also strongly influenced by YouTubers. They can multitask, but their attention span is limited. Any parents want to say amen? No? They will, but some of their kids are sitting right next to them, so they won't. Their attention span is limited. They are independent and demanding consumers and will have jobs that do not exist in today's world. It's kind of fun to dissect different generations over the years, and you could keep going back and back, further and further, and who knows what the next upcoming generations are going to be. Perhaps completely different, or maybe, as seen in history, sometimes a repeat happens. You go back, and they start acting very similar to generations of old. And a lot of reasons that generations change and shift and act differently is because of the world around them. Culture changes. Technology, war plays a big part in our culture. Who knows what their future holds? All of, the, of all the changes that have been made, good or bad, there is one change that matters the most. You can look back in history and change, you know, culture changes and technology, all these things change, but there's one change that matters the most, and that's how we view God. Because that also changes as generations come and go. In this passage we read just a minute ago, we begin to see a shift in the view that that generation, back in Judges, held of God. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. As we consider our, our message today, I want us to consider first of all this morning that there is a generation shift. A generation shift. 
Now, I'm not going to stand up here and declare which generation was the worst and which one was the best, because that's very subjective. And it really isn't even, it, it, it isn't the argument that needs to be made. What really matters is where we are today with God. Some you may argue as, oh, that, that was a bad generation here. This one's not so bad. This upcoming one, oh, you just can't, can't believe it. They're, they're terrible. Each generation has its unique quirks and gimmicks that we can point to. Style of clothing. Where you, we, nowadays, we can laugh at, you know, uh, several decades ago. And then we laugh at our kids today who are starting to wear those clothes that were once back then. And we're like, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we didn't have it back then. You guys don't have it now. We, could, we, could point, we have our different quirks and our gimmicks that define different generations. Sure. And we could point to those in fun. But what I don't want is to see the next generation being known as a godless generation. And no matter what generation you're in, it seems like there's always this shift away from God. In this passage, that's exactly what's happening. Joshua, the leader, he passed away. 110 years old. The Bible says that once everyone that was following and with Joshua also passed away, the next generation arose and they didn't know who God was. They knew not the Lord. Now, when we say generation, and we talk about a generation, it doesn't necessarily apply to every single person in that generation, right? We're kind of lumping them together as a whole. Because in generations past or present, there, uh, there, are, there are people who are not like the generation they're living in. They're not like the world that's circulating around them. We may look at people from the 70s and say, oh, he used to wear, you know, bell-bottom pants and these things. Well, not everybody in the 70s wore that, right? But we're, we lump it together as a whole. And I don't believe here in Judges chapter 2 that every single person fell away from God. But as a whole, they did. When you looked at them from afar, as a majority, that was the direction that they headed. It was away from God. A generation that did not know God. How awful would that be today? To be known as, oh, that's, that's generation so-and-so. Generation B or C. That was the, that was the, the atheist's. Generation. That was a generation that forsook God. And parents, not just parents, but teens in this room today, we have a say in what happens in this generation. I know we're one person, and there's billions of people in this world, but we have a say. And maybe we can't make a difference for the, for the entire world, but if you can make a difference in your life, and in your home, and maybe in your pocket, at your school, the, the clique that you're around, if you could make a difference where you are, if everybody had the mindset, if I could just make a difference in my circle, that circle can grow and grow and grow. We often look at the generation as a whole and say it's lost. We lost it. But instead, let's not look at what's happening in the past and instead let's look at what's, what could happen in the future in the world that we live in around us. We look at this generation, I can't help but ask, how did that happen? I mean, Joshua had just passed away. How did this generation fall? It seemed like it fell quickly. It seemed like it was just a matter of days, weeks, months, and not sure exactly how much time has passed between now and then, but the average, they say an average generation lasts between uh, around uh, 15 years as a generation. 15 to 20 years is the approximate time of a, a generation. How did that happen? Well, we've seen here in Judges chapter 2 a generation shift, but I want us to consider here today a generation examination. Let's examine this generation. 
Uh, we have a glimpse into what may have happened during this time. And if you could turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. We have an interesting passage here. Proverbs chapter 30. We see talk about a generation. And in Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to start reading in verse 11. But in verse 1, it talks about, it actually says who wrote this chapter. In verse 1, it says the words of Agur, the son of Jekyll. Even the prophecy the man spake. And in verse 1, people argue about who is this Agur, or, or how we pronounce his name. Who is this guy? A lot of people say it's actually still King Solomon, but he's just using a pen name. Uh, whatever the case is, look in verse 11. Proverbs 30 and verse 11. The Bible says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among them. Here in this passage we see the author here speaking about this generation. No doubt this was a generation that perhaps was, being, was, was happening at that moment in time. Perhaps it was, a, it was specifically about the previous generation. We're not sure. Or perhaps it was something that was brewing in that current generation. Whatever the case may be, we have here the, uh, this generation here, whether it was about the past generation, not too much of a not too long of a difference between what we read in Judges. Maybe a, a, a difference of maybe about 100 or so years, maybe a little bit more. When we come across this, and as we examine this quickly here this, this morning, we're going to see some similarities of what takes place in every generation. Because look what it says in verse 11. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. We see here a generation that, uh, of a, a disrespect of authority. There was a, a disrespect of authority that was, that was taking place here. And, you know, growing up, I grew up, I was a millennial, grew up, I was born in 1990, and I grew up in the 90s. And I remember growing up, my parents told me to always say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. I had to do it. And as a kid, you know, it took me a while, but eventually to mom and to dad, I said yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. When we go out, this, if we were, if we were uh, getting gas and I bought a candy bar from the gas station, I'd say, thank you, sir, or thank you, ma'am, for that. Now, saying sir and ma'am, that's a complicated issue here in 2022. That's something we won't get into now, but this is values that I was told to talk about and it's told to do. And even in the 90s, I would, I would go up to somebody, I'd say, thank you, sir. And they would say, huh. no, don't call me sir. Like, who, who says sir? They would, almost, they would almost mock me for saying that. Or I'd say, thank you, ma'am, for that gift. You know, I'd be four or five or six, and they'd say, wow. Nobody says that anymore. Nobody says ma'am or sir. And I remember growing up, my dad would tell me this. Look, you're going to say that and people are going to be taken off guard, but it's polite. It's respectful. And it's something that you should do. And you know, as I grew older, I really started to fall in love with the Filipino culture. Um, obviously, I married a Filipina. And uh, we teach our son 
or we have uh, my son Titus and we have uh, our daughter Leah. She's one and she calls Titus Kuya, right? Kuya. And for Filipinos, it's, it's a sign uh, and they, they don't mean it this way. But the reason for it, it's showing that he's older than me. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of respect, Kuya. And like I said, siblings don't see it that way. You know, respect. When I grew up as a kid, my siblings, we just call each other by a first name. Brett, Jake, Luke, Laura, Grace. Those are my siblings or dummy or stupid. You know, whatever we were feeling at that time. Don't call each other that, okay? But, you know, that's how siblings are, right? We call each other names. And they didn't call me, you know, I appreciated that sign of authority. Or even the younger kids, they always they add ate, right? Or they add... Um, the other names I can't remember off the top of my head. Ate, there's Tita, Tito, and there's these different names, and it's, it's, it's respect. And you get confused sometimes, like, are you Ate or Tita? I don't know how old are you, and you have to kind of figure that out. But either way, it's, it's, you're trying to show respect, and I appreciate that in the Filipino culture and other cultures that do similar things. But as a whole, in general, we see this shifting away from uh, the respect of authority, even our police officers and those who, who do their best to take care of us, um, it's tough. Sir and ma'am. And not that that's the answer, but just generally as a whole to teach and train our children to respect authority. And of course we want that. And teens, I hope you, uh, one day you're going you're gonna to be a parent perhaps. You're going to maybe hold a job and you're going to want someone to respect you. And you know what God says? God says if you want someday to be respected, then you need to respect people today. You reap what you sow. It's that boomerang effect. Whatever you throw out, it's going to come back to you. And we're living in a day and age where authority is not respected what it used to be. And one day, one day, as a child, you grow up, and let's say you're part of this conversation. You often find yourself not respecting your parents, not listening to them, doing your own thing, doing what you want to do. One day, your kids or those who you're in charge of today are going to do the same thing to you. You reap what you sow. So we see here a, a, a disrespect of authority in this generation. Look at verse 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Not only do we see a disrespect of authority, we also see a generation full of self-conceit. Self-conceit. I mean, look at this. They supposed themselves pure, but they weren't. They looked at themselves, they considered themselves good, they were pure, they were, they were good people, but yet they were filthy on the inside. From an unknown source, I came across this article. It was how to be miserable. Sounds like a good article, right? Should I read it for you? If you want to learn how to be miserable? Well, I'm going to read it for you anyway, so you can plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. How to be miserable. It says, think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious of everything. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect for yourself. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. 
Sulk if people are not grateful to you for favors shown them. Never forget, never forget a service you have rendered. Shirk at your duties if you can and do as little as possible for others. If you want to a, live a miserable life, follow this simple little poem here. And a generation back here in, in, in the Bible days, we see uh, that similar thing happening in generations all throughout the world. This self-conceit. This idea uh, of the world owes me something. I, I, don't, I don't like this job. I don't get paid enough. I'm going to quit this job and get this job. Or are, are we live in a world today that tries to, do, to get as much as we can for doing as little as possible. And some, for some reason, we often think that uh, the world owes us something. Be careful. Be careful with how you view yourself. Be careful with how you view, how you think you should be treated. Instead of just living your life for God and letting God bless you in the way that he should. We get so consumed with ourself that it affects us, it affects others around us. But not just a disrespect of authority, not just self-conceit. Look in verse 13. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. This idea here is not just talking about self-conceit or disrespect of authority, but this generation had an issue with pride. Pride. I came across this story, and uh, now this story took place in 1961. What generation was that? 1961. That was, uh, I guess that was a baby boomer right there, okay? 1961. Anybody here familiar with Arnold Palmer? Anybody heard that name before? Arnold, we got a couple hands raised up. I don't expect anybody in like 1990 or younger to know. I grew up, Arnold Palmer, uh, who was he? Can somebody help me out? He was a famous golfer, right? I grew up in a very, uh, my family was very integrated into golf and baseball. So uh, this was a name I grew up with, Arnold Palmer. I was not born in the 60s, however. But in 1961, at the Masters Tournament, in uh, 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 Arnold Palmer, had, had a one-stroke lead going into, uh, let me read this again. It was the final hole of the 1961 Masters Tournament. And uh, this is Arnold Palmer giving his statement. He said, I had one, a one-stroke lead and had just hit a very satisfying tee shot. I felt I was in pretty good shape as I approached my ball. I saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery, and he motioned over to me. He stuck out his hand and said, congratulations. So I, I took his hand and shook it. And we discussed basically how he was congratulating me on my win. And I was also thanking him for my, your congratulations. But as soon as I did, I knew I lost my focus. Over the next two shots, I hit the ball in the sand trap, which is, he hit the ball in the sand, and then after that, he overshot the green back into the rough. He pitched the ball once again and just missed the hole and two putt in and got, in, in golf terms, it's called a double bogey. If you don't know what that means, it's bad, okay? It was the last hole of the Masters, and he choked. He missed a putt, and because of that missed putt, he lost the Masters. He says, you don't forget a mistake like that. You learn from it, 
and become determined that you will never do it again. He said, I got ahead of myself. I got a little bit cocky. And because of that, I learned a valuable lesson that I never forgot in the next 30 years. Here's a guy, and he was a very famous golfer, very good at what he did. He had the lead, and he had won this tournament before. So he was expected to win. He was poised. He was a veteran. He knew how to handle the pressure. And when he hit his first shot, it landed right where it wanted to be. The crowd was cheering, and he knew, all I got to do is just play my game, and I'm going to win this thing. But in that moment, he found himself being prideful. And golf is a very focused game. Most sports are. You have to stay determined. You have to stay focused. And he knew distractions would, would mess up his rhythm and his flow. And he let his mind get away from it. He lost his focus and already told himself that he had won. Pride is an awful thing. And we don't have time to talk a whole message about pride. But pride is simply when... Uh, there's many different definitions you can give of pride per se. In this passage here, the idea is that they were up high and they looked down on everyone else. Everyone else was beneath them. They were above everyone else. It's, it's interesting, I, I find here, that when it comes to this idea of, uh, of pride, oftentimes uh, it seems like every generation thinks that they're smarter than the one before them. Right? You, you grow up as kids. Kids reach a stage in their life where they think, yeah, I'm smarter than my parents now. I've arrived. I don't need them anymore. Yeah, but you're, you're six. Yeah, but dad, I got it. I got it figured out. And then they become teenagers and they really think they figured it out. It's interesting how every generation thinks they're smarter than the one before them. Yet it seems like as generations continue, we get further and further away from God. We get further and further away. Pride is something that we as Teenagers, we as kids have to be careful with, and parents as well. Parents sometimes think we have all the answers, and we can't admit when we're wrong sometimes. But it's okay to mess up. It's okay to, to go to your child and say, hey, you know what? It's the first time it's ever happened, but you were right. I messed up. I was wrong. And I, I appreciate that. And the kids would be wise to not say, ha! And not to point in their face and, and make it worse, the situation worse. The kid would be wise to say, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. Now, I know I'm speaking of a perfect family here, and you may say, these don't exist. Oh, but they can. Through the power of God, they can. To live in a world where pride is not the goal, pride is not what happens. We, uh, I follow sports often, as probably many of you do, and and in sports, it's, it's, uh, I like to, you, you, you have a team you like, and you see these young players get drafted in. And I like to watch these young players and say, I, I'm not a fan of him. He's way too into himself. He thinks he's the great, like, ah, ah. I like the kid that goes up and says, teach me. You know, I want to learn from you. A kid who comes up who is humble. And a kid who, who asks questions and, and he just, he carries himself in a way that he wants to play, but he wants to learn. Never stop wanting to learn. A generation that fills themselves with pride is a generation that stops learning, that stops progressing because they think they've arrived already. And the last, gener the last thing spoken here in verse 14. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among them. This is a generation that's greedy. That's greedy. I read this story once 
from, uh, I don't really follow or agree with everything Leo Tolstoy has to say. But Leo Tolstoy was a, a famous author and he wrote this short story once about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. One day he received a novel offer. For 1,000 uh, rupees, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. So he had to walk around in this big circle, and as long, as far as he could walk, that land would be his in one 24-hour day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at the starting point by sundown. So he had to make a big loop. As long as he was back before sundown, everything in that, that loop would be his. Now you already know where this is going. Early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. But by midday, he got tired. But he kept going, covering more and more ground. Well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far from the starting points. He quickened his pace, and as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run, knowing that if he did not make it back by sundown, the opportunity become, to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. As the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line. Desperate for air, for, for food, for water, gasping for every last ounce of, of strength he had left, his heart pounding, he called upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggered across the finish line just before the sun disappeared. He did it. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. Later that day, he died. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. That was his accomplishment that he made in life. He wanted to cover miles and miles and miles, but at, at the end of the day, it was a six by three foot hole. The title of that story was How Much Land Does a Man Need? We live in a world today where we just want more, and it never stops. This is the problem with money, is you get, you get a taste of money, and you, you want more. I, I used to scoff at these, I still do, <laughs> these, uh, these sports players, right? And they're complaining, and they're trying to negotiate, and they strike up a deal. Just recently, the largest NBA contract ever by a player was just struck. Five years, this NBA player is going to make over $260 million. Five years for playing basketball. Now, he works hard. He works hard every day. And I'm not going to take away his work ethic, but two, some of us work harder. And we make a little bit less than that. We make a little bit less than that. <laughs> you know, we, we struggle, we fight. And um, if you look earlier in this chapter, at Proverbs 30, look in verse 7. I found this interesting. Look in verse 7. The author says, Two things have I required of thee. And this is the author speaking to God. He says, Please deny me them not before I die. He says, Lord, remove far from me. This is verse 8 of chapter, Proverbs 30. Remove far from me vanity and lies. That was the first thing he asked for. But then look at the second thing he asked for. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Say, whoa, wait, what? 
feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Here's a smart man who realized, he said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to be really poor. I want to be able to take care of my family. But God, I don't want to be really rich because I don't want to risk losing you. I don't want to risk losing myself in the riches, in the money, in the wealth, in the fame. Because once you get a little bit of this, you want a little bit more. And once you start living a, a nice lifestyle, you need a lot of money to continue living that really nice lifestyle. And when the economy crashes, you want to stay able to stay up. And so what do you do? You work more and you work more. And a lot, of, a lot of these people that make millions and millions of dollars, they have no life to spend that money and to live it. And they long for retirement. And it's a difficult life to live. And this man right here, this author, whether it was Solomon or Agor, whoever it was, we know that they got it right. We live in a world that's greedy, that gets something and wants more. We live in a world today that wants a lot for a little. We want to be able to sacrifice a little bit. Oftentimes we, we find ourselves this way when it comes to serving God. We, we want to just give God a little bit of time, but hopefully we get lots of blessings and riches for it. And we are living in a generation, and really it's not just this generation. It was the past generation and previous generation, and it goes all the way back to the Bible times since the beginning of time. Greed has always been a problem. And it's something we need to be careful with. Oftentimes, greed goes all the way to us as parents. We, we push our kids to be successful sometimes. Not just for their own sake, but also for our own sake. So that we can boast around with our friends later. Oh yeah, my kid makes this much money. And yeah, my kid's a doctor. My kid's this. And sometimes we use our children to boast ourselves, our own greed. And it's, it's not always that way. But if we're not careful, greed could sneak in in many different shapes and sizes. We must be careful that we don't feed the next generation the wrong information. That we teach and we train them the way that they should go. Because, because of what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. Last verse. 1 Peter chapter 2. See, there's a, a generational shift We went to Proverbs to examine the shift that's taking place. But no matter where our generation may be in life, this right here is what matters. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. In fact, let's read verse 9 all together. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll give you another second to get there, and verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9, ready and begin. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye would show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. We're a chosen generation. This was, this was said thousands of years ago, but this applies to us today. God has chosen us for him to be a little bit peculiar to be, a, if I could say it this way, a yes ma'am and a no sir kind of a mentality where it's not really the norm. To be something that God has called us to be. To be respectful. To not be greedy. To not be prideful. To be humble. To look back at the, the wrong that's happened in our generation and, and improve upon it. How do we do that? It's in God's word. Jesus Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. It starts with us accepting him as our Lord and Savior and saying, God, come into my life and save me. Look, we can't change this generation by ourselves. We need God's help to do that. God is the one that could make a difference in your family. 
God is the one that can make a difference in your children and their children's children. We have fallen away from God and it's time for us to get back to God. I look at one of my favorite kings in, in, the, in, in the Bible, King Josiah. King Josiah was known as one of the best kings to ever have lived. One day he was rummaging through the temple and they found the book of the law. And when the priest read the book of the law to Josiah, the Bible says he rent his clothes. He was in anguish and he, he repented of his sins and he, he called the elders of Israel together and they, he read the law to them and they repented. And together there was this, this revival that broke out and the nation was saved, was preserved for many, many years later because of this. But you know what we forget sometimes? Josiah's dad, his name was Ammon. And the Bible says that he was at that time the worst king to have ever lived. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And you know, what, you know who Ammon's father was? King Manasseh, who at that time, the Bible says, was the worst king to have ever lived. He literally, he and Ammon, they literally took, took their children and, and, and cast them into the fire. They, they worshipped uh, the god Moloch. And they were awful, they were evil, they were wicked, and they, they pushed and pursued the people to serve idols and forsake God. They were awful, they were wicked. Josiah, uh, now being king, starting to become king at the age of eight years old because his dad was murdered by his own people. He was so wicked. And yet, here's a kid who had nothing going for him. He should not have been a good king. He should have continued like his parents, like his dad, like his grandpa. But what did he do? read the law it changed him and he in return gave it to the people and it changed them Josiah didn't have these great words that he said it was the law of God that broke down and broke people it was the law of God that changed their hearts and lives you see no matter how gloomy things may get there is always room to make a difference in the future there's always room to make a difference and maybe we're not a king and we can't make a, a, worldwide, a worldwide proclamation for our nation, but we could make a difference where we are today in your room, in your home, in your house, in your car, at your job, at your work. You could make a difference where you and I are today. Who controls this generation? We get so focused on the past and how badly maybe we've messed up or how they messed up or how politics messed up. But instead, let's focus on the here and the now. Because who controls this generation depends on what we do for God right now. If you could stand with me as we close in prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.